0: The holy gospel according to luke the sixth chapter glory, glory to, you, to you O lord jesus said but i say to you that listen love your enemies do good to those who hate you bless those who curse you pray for those who abuse you if anyone strikes you on the cheek offer the other also and from anyone who takes away your coat do not withhold even your shirt If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again, but love your enemies, do good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Sisters and brothers, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I have been thinking about one verse from our psalm for today, which since our Tuesday morning men's study I've been thinking about in a way I hadn't quite before, which when I thought about it this way seemed like it offered um, a new way of understanding one verse from our gospel reading for today, which it then seems to me can be seen in action in the story of Joseph and his brothers in our Old Testament reading for today. I want to tell you that early on this week, I was kind of excited to see this line of thought come together. I want to tell you that most of you have a look on your faces that says, we'll see, preacher. (laughs) Okay, so we'll see. By taking a sermon trip from reading to reading to reading today, starting with Psalm 37 and the second half of verse 4, which reads, The Lord will give you your heart's desire. Which it is very easy, too easily to interpret as meaning that if you really, 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 truly want something to the bottom of your heart, then God will give it to you, because there it is right in the Bible. The Lord will give you your heart's desire, which, number one, I've discovered not necessarily to be true in that fashion. And number two, that it's not true in that fashion is, by and large, a really, really good thing. Because the last thing I, for one, personally need are some of the things I sometimes do find my heart desiring. Some of you may be able to relate. Still there it is right there in the Bible. The Lord will give you your heart's desire. Let's think about that verse in two ways by hearing it. The exact same verse in two ways. First, the two easy way. The Lord will give you your heart's desire. (coughs) Same words Same verse, I think, new and improved way. The Lord will give you your heart's desire. Do you hear? Powerful difference, I think, between the two. Powerfully hopeful promise in the second of the two, that being the promise that God gives you your heart's desire by giving your heart desires to desire which are not the so often shallow and self-absorbed desires of sin-crusted hearts, but are rather the desires of God in and for human hearts. All of which, I think, can be heard more clearly when you hear that whole verse, not just that half of the verse. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Can you hear it now? God is not in the business of giving out whatever the heck human hearts randomly desire, or for that matter, whatever in hell human hearts sinfully desire. God rather, through God's Spirit, is ever at work to give our hearts their desires. As God's Word and God's presence give and grow and woo forth from the heart desires that are by God worth desiring which takes us to a verse from our gospel reading for today and perhaps a new way to read it that being Luke 6:37 and this verse forgive and you will be forgiven Forgiven, you will be forgiven. The way too easy way to read that verse is to hear it saying that God will forgive me as a result and even as a reward when I first forgive others, which is a very problematic way to read that verse because, first of all, it turns God's forgiveness into something that is conditional, which we read all over the place everywhere else. God's glove isn't such. But second of all, it's problematic because it leaves me anyway a un- Conditionally, out of luck in terms of ever being fully forgiven given the fact that one of the things I, anyway, most need forgiveness for is how unforgiving I can be. How unforgiving I sometimes prefer to be. How unforgiving darn it I sometimes pretty much to the bottom of my heart's Desires, desire to be. Maybe it's just me. God gives us our heart's desire in that case precisely not by giving us our heart's desire, but rather by planting, tending, caring for, fertilizing, deadheading as needed, growing in hearts the desire to be forgiving. It's a desire which, when it comes into the heart, inevitably does so holding hands with its twin sister. She being the one who reminds me how much and how often I've needed to be forgiven, and have been forgiven, and how freeing that's been, And then slipping into the heart with those two twins, too, comes their triplet twin brother, too. He being the one who gently, persistently whispers in my heart that being forgiven is not the only thing that is freeing. Being forgiving is freeing, too. He's the one, in other words, who first wrote the line, I forgave and set a prisoner free, and the prisoner was me." Which takes us to our Old Testament story today, which if you were raised in Sunday school or of course are a music theater fan, this is a story you have some familiarity with because it's the classic Sunday school and Broadway story of Joseph and his brothers and his amazing technicolor dream coat in the language of theater bible background to the story joseph's father was named jacob who was a conniver from way back but when he went back to the home country to found a wife he got connived after he fell absolutely smitten and in love with a beautiful woman whose name was Rachel, whose father Laban said that he could have her in marriage if he worked on his farm for seven years, which Jacob did, only to find on the morning after the wedding that the veiled bride he had married and spent his wedding night with was Rachel's older sister Leah, whom he didn't love and didn't consider beautiful but the marriage was consummated. He confronted Laban who said, oh gosh, I'm sorry, I thought since your grandpa was from around here you knew that the oldest sister has to get married first. At this point some feel for Jacob, me not so much, he was a conniver who got connived, discovered that karma is who she is sometimes. I feel for Leah, who seems surely to be the one who was most taken advantage of and used and wounded here. Background moving on, Jacob worked seven more years to win the hand of his soulmate, his uh, love of his life, his Rachel. In the meantime, he didn't love her, but he did have children with Leah, six boys and a girl. Plus he followed the typical, but let's be clear, ill-advised custom of his day by having two more sons with Leah's handmaid whose name was Zilpah. Then he finally married Rachel and they tried, believe me, but they finally, after several years, the only offspring they produced were two more sons with Rachel's handmaid Bilhah. Finally, finally, finally Rachel had a son. And Jacob had a child with the one woman he'd always and only loved. And he named him Joseph. And they all moved back to the land of Canaan and everybody everywhere, including Joseph, knew that he above all was his father's favorite child. And dad gave him that coat of many colors just in case his favor for his favorite son wasn't clear enough. His brothers to the bottom Of their heart's desires, resented and hated Joseph. Back in Canaan, Rachel had another son. His name was Benjamin. Rachel died in childbirth. One time at breakfast, Joseph came downstairs and told his brothers about a dream he had dreamed in which they, his older brothers, had all bowed down, faces planted in the dirt before him. This went over exactly the way you would think it would go over. They resented and hated him even more, and I certainly get this. I'm sure that I, to the bottom of my heart, would have resented, possibly hated him too. They found a chance to give themselves what their hearts desired. One time when they were out in the field, and Jacob sent Joseph to check out on them, check out how they were doing, and they saw him, and they were planning to kill him. But a group of Midianite traders on their way to Egypt passed by, and so the brothers instead sold Joseph to them, made a few bucks on the side, and then they dipped the amazingly colored coat in the red blood of a goat they killed and then went back and told their father that they'd found the coat just like that and apparently a wild animal of some sort had killed Joseph. We're so sorry, Dad, they said. If only he hadn't been out there alone. If only we could have been there for him. On the way with the Midianites to Egypt to be sold as a slave, did Joseph think to himself, Surely this is part of God's plan for my life? I don't imagine so. I imagine he was scared and angry. And if he thought about God at all, he wondered why God had allowed this to happen to him. And as he wondered also, and worried and feared, what was going to happen to him? What happened to him is that he was purchased as a slave by an officer in Pharaoh's court whose name was Potiphar, who saw leadership skills in Joseph and rapidly promoted him up the household slave chain of command until Potiphar's wife saw something else in Joseph and wanted him to see the same thing in her. He said no And she got mad and yelled. And when Potiphar ran in, she screamed and said that Joseph had assaulted her. And Potiphar had Joseph thrown in prison and asked that the key be thrown away. In those early days in prison for an attempted rape, he actually hadn't attempted. Did Joseph think to himself, look at how God's wonderful plan for my life is now unfolding? I surely don't imagine so. I imagine he was again scared and angry and if he thought of God at all, he thought, God, why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything wrong at all and now I'm going to die in this dungeon? Why did you let this happen to me? What's going to happen to me? Which takes us to the new way in which I've been imagining this story this week, and it is my imagining. It's only found between the lines, so you can take it for what it's worth. I'm imagining that throughout this story, all along in this story, but maybe more than ever, here now in prison in this story, God has been, and even more now, was at work to give Joseph the desire of his heart By giving him, and then ever deepening within him, the desire for which he soon now in prison came to realize was deeper than any desire for his heart. For that desire was his desire for God. Not now in the sense of God needing to come and explain everything to him or even come free him from this prison, but just to come come here to this prison's present darkness and to make himself known to him there. And God, I'm imagining, having given him what was now his heart's deepest desire, then to gave him what his heart desired as God in ways that God can and does do this, gave him a deep awareness of the presence of God and the peace of God, and the realization that absolutely no matter what happened and no matter what others said or did to him, he was loved by God, and that was enough. And taking delight in God, Joseph could see God. Indeed, he got to the point where he felt that God was all he could see. For he could see that God was with him all the time and always had been with him all the time. And he began to dream more dreams. And he began to see that the dreams were from God and he could hear that God was speaking to him in them. And then he began to see and to hear God speaking in the dreams that others had dreamed and told him until finally a dream mighty King Pharaoh had Came along, and someone told him of the prisoner in his prison whose reputation had now reached all the way to Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh summoned Joseph from prison, and Joseph told him what he said God had told him was the meaning of Pharaoh's dream that being that seven years of bumper crops in the land would be followed by seven years of famine in the land. So use the good years to get ready for the bad years. And all would be fed throughout the years. At which point Pharaoh, seeing the gifts and wisdom of God in Joseph, not only freed him, but also put him in charge of the whole feeding operation with only one authority that was greater than his, that being the authority of Pharaoh himself. Joseph, of course, knew that there was one greater and with more authority than even Pharaoh, that being the one who would given him the desire of his heart by being the desire of his heart. Who Joseph now did know and could even see had been with him for every single chapter of the tragedy and comedy and even now pretty much fairy tale of his whole life's story. And many of you from Sunday school or theater know how it played out from there, including our text for today as the famine reached Canaan. And Jacob's remaining sons went to Egypt to get food or they would die of starvation, which of course led them to Joseph, whom they did not recognize when they were ushered into his presence, although of course it would have been hard to recognize anybody by the time they were face down on the ground bowed down before him in his presence. Did Joseph then remember the dream he dreamed years and years ago about his brothers bowing down to him? I would imagine so. But I don't imagine that he now remembered that dream gloatingly, self-righteously, or I told you so, Lee. For God had given him the desire of his heart. As now, his brothers kneeling at his feet, his desires, humbly, were for what God desired. For the healing power of forgiveness to show itself to be more powerful than the destructive power of sins, be they sins sinned by us or sins sinned against us, for the providing care of God to show itself as those who've been provided with more than enough shared with those who didn't have enough. For the blessings of God to bless God's world as those whom God blessed lived blessedly by being blessings to others. And for good, the real thing To be part of every story ever told. Not because every person or every action or every detail of every story is good, but because God is good. And God never gives up on people or on their stories or on being at work all the time and everywhere for good. Amen.